You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Before we get into some things today, buddy. Well, hey, Chris, real quick. Sorry, to cut, you, sorry to cut you off. Already? I know. Already. Like right away. Well, no, because this is going to be the only time. I wanted to let you know. So I need to ask you a favor today. I'm going to ask you to do something which is very, very difficult today. I am. I know this is going to be hard for you. I'm fighting off a sore throat, so I'm going to need you to do a little more talking than me today. <laughs> I know this is difficult for you, but... Would I'll do my best. Would appreciate I'll it. Do my absolute I don't know if best. you noticed, I came in with a with cough drops in wow. my mouth. I'll today. do my best. Okay, let's talk real quick about Sox Fest. That's what I wanted to jump off with. It's this week. It's completely different in my mind. It feels very different than it's been. And now you see McCormick Place, and you see only two days. In reality, Friday is like just like four or five hours, and then it's really just a one day thing with like a prequel going on on Friday night, and then that's all it is. And so it, it feels shortened. And, and it doesn't feel like you're walking downstairs from the lobby and you're going to bump into a player, you know? So it's, it's a it's a different feeling, and I've been kind of pouring through everything now that the White Sox have released it, and I kind of want to go through it. Now, there's a Hilton at McCormick Place that it looks like there's a tunnel or some kind of walkway there that is. eventually gets you over to where this is. Yes, there is. Okay. Although I don't imagine White Sox players staying at a Hilton Garden Inn that's running for $100 a night, right? Nah, probably not. I thought that the thing about the last venue that was cool was the post game, hanging out in Kitty O'Shea's, and four or five guys come walking in. Right. And you don't want to be a jerk. You don't walk up and hassle them. The guy's done for the day, right? But you say hi. You know, I had a conversation with Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito. I talked for a little bit with Adam Engel. I made sure I didn't bring up your feelings about him, but I My I, feelings I talked about to him, him a little bit about that. My I saw I saw Michael Kopech. He's very hard to miss. He's a giant walking amongst the crowd. Yeah, we saw my. I was there yeah, the day we guy, saw Kopech. Right, guy can't slip in the room, but it's just kind of cool, you know. And and also, I remember years when you'd be down in the lobby and you'd just be kind of heading down to go do something, and you just bump into a guy on the elevator, or you bump into somebody like on a floor or something like that, and you get to have like that. That one-on-one conversation, I feel like that's going to be lost a little bit. Well, I get why they're, I get why they don't want to do it because you get the weirdos that camp out for three days waiting for somebody to come down and get breakfast so they can hassle them. I get that, so I understand it from the player's point of view. Like, I mean, give them a break. If it's six a.m. and a guy wants to go down and get a breakfast bagel, leave him alone. Let him walk down in his slippers, get a breakfast bagel. He doesn't need to take three selfies with you and sign fifteen articles that you've been sitting up all night waiting to get signed. Yeah, I don't know anything. You're, you're crazy. I don't know anything about that Hilton hotel that's adjacent to McCormick Place. I've never even so much as set foot in there. I know where they had Sox Fest last year was a re- really nice hotel. You had the option of uh, going to the bar. It was a hotel. It's a hotel first, and almost like a convention center second. McCormick Place. I've you know, although I've never been to the hotel, I've been to the actual McCormick place for a handful of conventions and things like that. It it has yeah, it it's different. Right. It's kind it's, of a different feel. Right. I'm looking at so, the map. I'm looking at the map online and anybody can look at the map. On one hand, it's interesting that everything is essentially in a big giant room because it's McCormick place. Okay. So instead of like, I gotta go down this hallway to go find this and I gotta walk down this hallway to go find this. Everything's in a big giant room. Are they, it's a big giant convention. Are center. they not separating the 
rooms then? I mean, are no. they going to have separate rooms no, for this, different, like no. they did last year? It doesn't year? look like that at all. Wow. Like, as I look at it, it's the big giant main room. And you walk in, and you're going to see the mini field on one side and the kids stage on the other side as you first walk in the thing. So on one hand, what they're doing is that they're, they, they realize that there's only one entrance into the place unless you're coming from the other side from the hotel. So if you're coming from the main entrance where you walk in the thing, all the kids stuff is right up front, which makes perfect sense because Saxfest is for kids and parents don't want to drag their kids everywhere. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. So put all the kids stuff easily where the kids are going to be like South Paul be up towards the front. You got like some interactive things. You got the kids stage. You got the field where they work out the players, everything like that. Then it looks like they have eight different stages where people come and do autographs. And those are like running right up in the middle of the entire giant convention floor. Then you get to the, the exhibitors, like the people that are selling stuff. Those booths are sitting over there. There's a museum. And then they have two more ticket lines. And then they have a main stage. And it looks to me like you would imagine the main stage. Now, I haven't seen this before. The main stage looks like it's much bigger and should have bigger capacity. It's like going to a concert. Okay. Like there's going to be a large amount of people there. Facing the stage, on the left side, there's a Goose Island section. On the right side, there's a Budweiser section. So there's two big sections for drinking and that where on either side. Is that where they're putting the food, too? No, the food is going to be in a food court that's off to the side of the entire center. So about midway through, if you make a left, if you come in the main ex entrance, there's a second thing. That's the only thing you walk through doors. There's bathrooms there. You walk in between the bathrooms. You go into a giant food court, it looks like. And mm. they have their MVP sessions sitting in that area. It looks like maybe downstairs. I have to look at that. Okay, it's kind of hard to read this map. But essentially, they've, they basically have said, we're going to put everything here and it's going to be a big convention thing where you can move about. You might actually be able to hear, depending on where you're at, the talks. So you could be standing in line for a beer and hear, and the, hear the talk that's going on on stage. I, so don't, know you, I, I don't know if I like, I mean, it's, now again, you were looking at a map. I'm, I'm looking of, at I'm a map without doing, seeing it. I'm kind of doing theater of the mind right. here, but I, I can I can imagine a lot of logistical problems with this. Now I don't know if they. I'm not. I don't want to criticize this. No, it might don't. Be a good but idea. but again, I'm wondering why they opted to do it this way. I mean, in in lieu of how they did it the the last few years. I mean, were there player complaints? Were there logistical problems? Well, I know with, they had a logistical problem uh, last year. There, was it was it a cost thing? I I or all the above. They have they had some issues last year. Remember, they had the debacle. I want to say Frank Thomas was up there and possibly Jim Tomey. There was a Frank. There was the Frank Thomas and there Jim was some Tomey kind of autograph there was session. some kind of thing that happened at the autograph session. Those people got made whole maybe like six months later. And I remember people sent me messages. The Sox took care of them. I think they had like a patio party and everything else for these people that didn't get all their autographs while they were in the line. Well, I think it was they overbooked it. They over, was, exactly. That's what, what it was. seemed like what had happened. The players weren't responsible for it. There, there was a somebody didn't plan things out properly. Like, they were supposed to be there for an hour, but they were also supposed to be on stage somewhere or something crazy we like that. We had an issue, too, with, was it the Ozzie Guillen autographed line? It yes. was you and I, we were there on Sunday. We and were told to, we were told we were to told come they were, there at they were such not, and yeah. such a time. We're not going to hand out the wristbands until a certain time, and when we showed up 10 minutes before, they, they had already, already been handed, handed out. The wristbands. Yeah. So there was bad communication. So my hope is, when I look at it, by having all of these autograph booths and this extra room is there more room for people to get in the line here's a little tip from me to you for Saxfest. if you're you mean kid, from you to me personally or just from to the audience to everybody to everybody you okay. and, and everybody out there sure 
if there's a thing like, let's say, Tim Anderson is working on ground balls over at the field, have your kid go do that. Because when they're done... <laughs> Wait a minute. Do we want our kids taking ground ball advice from Tim Anderson? Oh, be quiet. So if the, he's it's actually in, in defense he of the Tim, practice he can get. in defense of Tim, it's not necessarily the fielding, it's the throwing. We know this. Okay. okay. So anyway, moving on. Sorry. But if you send them over for those things, when they're done with the session, a lot of time the player will stop with the kids that worked out with him and sign a bunch of autographs. Okay. I've seen that. that. that that's something that you want to do. You know who I think is really cool? I think Michael Kopech's cool. Last year, he's injured. He has nothing to do. He's got a few things. That guy walked through the fest like three times. He just soaked it all in. I think the players that go out there and they're like, yeah, I might have to keep a security guy with me. And yeah, I might have to tell people like I'm only signing for kids because I want to kind of walk around and meet people and I don't want to cause a commotion. But I think it's cool when they walk the floor or they show up in like the beer garden or they show up and they're like, I want to try out the fast pitch. Like he was doing home run derby. Kopech went over for a home run derby last year and he just showed up. They had like a video game thing and he just starts taking swings like he got in line with the fans and he tried it out like that's cool. Like if you're if you're a White Sox player within the sound of my voice checking out this podcast, don't forget those kind of things. Don't stay hold up inside of the hotel room for the entire day or day and a half that you're there and only come down when it's time for you to sit at the table, because I think you get so much more. Out of like, I'm going to go like, just go surprise some people, you know, pop in someplace, say hi, I'm going to say hello to your local podcaster right. who the White Sox make it really, really difficult to go and, and talk to you. Okay. <laughs> Cause they funny. like to control the message. You know, the only time, okay. So I've, the only time I've ever had similar experience to this, the wife and I for our uh, first anniversary, we, we went and stayed out at, in Las Vegas. We stayed at the Wynn. And it just so happened, like we did not plan this, but it just so happened that we were staying at the hotel the same weekend as the NHL awards. And the wind being one of the nicer hotels in Vegas, you had a lot of NHL personalities kind of walking around there. And these guys were like you described, like the Kopech thing. These guys were totally cool about it. I ran into Brian Campbell just in the lobby of the hotel. And I mean, I didn't do the autograph. I don't do autographs for whatever reason. I would rather just take a picture and, and be done. So, but Campbell was totally cool. He took a picture. I said, hey, we miss you in Chicago. This was like right after he got traded. Uh, I ran into Eddie Olchek. He was playing, he was playing craps at the one of the tables with just like a bunch of people. And I went up to him. I was like, you know, Mr. Olchek, I'm, you know, Brother Rice, class of 96. Guy was totally cool, came over and talked to me. So I can relate to what you're saying. And that is very, very, that is cool when players do that. Like, well, and, what, and, and like, I, like, the, like how Mike Kopech did. I think some fans ruin it for everybody else. Okay. Yes. And, and look, I'm not going to say you're a bad person because you want to go get autographs. Like I said, I wanted to get the Gian thing because I had something I wanted to get signed. If you have a jersey that you're trying to get all the signatures from a team or you've got a specific jersey for a player because he's your favorite, go get an autograph. If, if you're walking around with just bags and bags of memorabilia, you're yeah, autograph to get seekers. I mean, you don't have enough wall space to display it. What are you doing? You're getting a sign, you're putting it inside of like a cardboard box. No, there's like a, a lot of these guys you're are selling, selling it, it on and, eBay. And, and, yeah. and, and I don't think players like that. I think when they see you, they know what you are. Like they get it. Like I've, I've seen them before at these fests. 
The, the, you know, you get a kid that walks up, can you sign my ball? You get a guy who's like, hey, man, you did a good job. I just want to shake your hand. You get the normal fan interactions where they're chit-chatting with him. And then you have that one guy who's standing there, and he's wearing half the memorabilia. He's got six jerseys he's wearing because he's waiting for you. And he's got, like, he's got like you know how, like, in, in the Gulf War, remember? When they, when they were talking about going over and getting terrorists. And like every terrorist had like a card in their 52 card deck. Remember that thing when it was like, like they, they, like the, the Marines were all walking around with the different pictures of terrorists to try to find their terrorists that they had to kill the top 52 terrorists that were over there in Al Qaeda or something like that. It's like you have people that have like charts with pictures of all these guys because they're just, they're just hunting for them. And then when they find them, they've got like their buddy with them and they start sorting through like a cardboard box because they got to get seven things signed by that guy. I, those guys got it. They got to stop. You know, it, it, like it, it, it ruins it for everybody else. I definitely saw some of that when I went to Sox Fest last year. I definitely saw some of that on the Sunday. It was, it's, it's yeah. really, it, it's off putting. It's, it's, yeah. It's and it bro, ruins it for everybody it's really, else. really, it, it was, it was just, yeah, it was upsetting. I mean, it, it was, it was, it's kind of like you're sitting there just like, really? Yeah. Seriously. Look, if Michael Kopech's your favorite player or you're really into him, for crying out loud, I get it. You're waiting for Michael Kopech. I remember one time with the White Sox were in, in Minnesota and they're playing a road series where they got swept. I think Shane Mack had like two walk-off home runs on a four-game series against the White Sox. Get, a Sunday was baseball day where they handed out Minnesota Twins baseballs. And after he hit a grand slam in, in the bottom of ninth or something like that, all the White Sox fans were throwing the Minnesota Twins baseballs onto the field. It was, a, it was a, not a good showing by White Sox fans on the road. We kind of caused a riot. And I remember my dad looking at me like, you better not throw that ball because I was like a teenager. And I remember that my sister's favorite player was Robin Ventura. And I was carrying around a Frank Thomas rookie card. Okay. Now, if I ran into anybody else that wasn't carrying around like 15 things, and I'm a kid, I'm still a kid. Like I'm like 14, 15 years old. I still consider that to be a kid. Okay. And she's, she's still in the eighth grade, if I'm not mistaken. We're kids. We're just, we're, we're excited about seeing these players. I remember we sat down and I drank like four Cokes or something like that at the bar and she was watching the elevator and she saw somebody come off the elevator and she's like, that person who just got off the elevator and went back up is one of Frank Thomas's relatives. I swear it is. And she just knew that. And I was like, all right. And I went over, I hung out by where the elevator was. He got off. He was a mountain. I was, I was very pleased Mr. Thomas. And I'm like shaking. And he's like, yeah, sure. Kid. And he signs the thing, you know? Walked away. Right. Nice guy. Ron Ventura, little different story. He came walking in at like seven o'clock in the morning with black sunglasses on because he's obviously not made it home that night. And, you know, her idea of Ron Ventura was slightly tarnished because <laughs> she was walking around with this big scrapbook of Ron Ventura she was waiting for the entire time. And I remember my dad going, don't bother right now. Don't don't go over there right now. I mean, the guy looked like an absolute wreck. She eventually caught up with him in a better moment. But we weren't we had a one player. You got that one player. I get it. You're trying to like complete something. I get it. If you're trying to cut in line or find some way to scam, cause you got to get 47 things signed this Saturday or you're walking around with a crate. I don't get it. I, I don't, I'm sorry. No, no, You, you, you'll tell me you're a super fan and I'll, I'll tell you, I, you're in the way of a kid. Like this is, this is a kid's thing. And I'm a fan. Like, trust me. I, if I run into one of these guys, I'm going to fanboy out. Okay. And, and several of them. I'm going to get, I'm going to get excited. If I see Tim Anderson, I'm going to hug him and tell him I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'll be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tim. <laughs> Tim's going to be sorry. like security. Right. Just get, just hold him like real tight. Be like, I'm sorry. Like real close. You know, 
Tim's like motioning for somebody to come over with a taser and take me out. Like that's that's kind of how it's going to be. But I'm not. That's actually more normal than standing there with a crate full of Tim Anderson stuff. That I'm because I'm accosting I'm, Tim Anderson <laughs> in a hotel lobby totally is more normal. You ask than- Tim Anderson what he would like more. Would he like a genuine hug and an apology ran, from ran, somebody? Some rando nerdy white him, guy hugging or him. Some dude who he standing know. there with with like, you know, a, a cardboard box full of stuff and he wants to get him to sign seven things. Is there an option C here? <laughs> it's the middle of the show song. 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 Chris had nothing to put here, so he put this song. It's the middle of the show song. Hey, I want to talk about some options at second base because there's been a little bit of buzz with the sacks about guys like Brian Dozier that they may be kicking the tires on, guys like Brad Miller, and whether or not Nick Madrigal is going to come up. We brought him up several times. I don't want to talk too much about Mads. The proof is in the pudding with him. He's not going to be a big power hitter. There are people that don't think he's going to be very good. But when you look at last year, what the White Sox got out of second base, there were... 492 at-bats from Yomer Sanchez that resulted in a 639 OPS, a 252 average, and a 318 on base percentage. And then the other guys that came in there who played second base didn't fare much better. Overall, the second base position got you a well under 700 OPS, an on-base percentage that hovered right around 320, and, and an average of about 255. That, that's, that's what second base got you. It wasn't acceptable. And it's not good enough. So people are saying, well, we should upgrade. What if Mandrigal's not coming up? What if he's not going to be there at the beginning? So if he's not going to be there at the beginning and the White Sox are really interested in a Brian Dozier, then I want to go through just a couple guys here in free agency and maybe let's find the guy they really should get. Because you know what Brian Dozier seems to me like? Brian Dozier is a Kenny Williams move. He's a guy who was good a few years ago and isn't good Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. No, um, yeah. Brian Dozier. Let me just. I want to give this. Who's still out there? Because I don't have okay. the. I don't have the free. Agent I selected list four me. guys that I thought were reasonable. Okay. Okay. That could play second base at least for the beginning of the season for you, and then may be able to move into a role where they kind of bounce around. They could play a couple other middle infield positions if you want to. Dozier, Jason Kipnis, Scooter Jeanette, Brad Miller. Now Dozier, if you look at him in his year twenty nine. And year 30 seasons, those are his two best seasons. He's an all-star when he's 28 years old, but he only hits 236 that season with a 751 OPS and an OPS plus of about 104, so he's about average. When you look at his next two years, he almost hits 900 on the OPS in 2016. He ends with an 856 OPS in 2017. He's in MVP voting. He's in the top 15 in both of those seasons. Those are his best years. Right. Then he goes out, he hits 215 the next year with an under- 700 OPS. And wow, last the year, very for, next year, yeah, that's a sharp. And decline. last year, he hits 238 with a 771 OPS. What about Kipnis? Because I've heard Kipnis's name thrown around a couple times. All right. Jason Kipnis has made two All Star games in his year 26 and year 28 seasons. And during those stretches, both of those seasons, he had an over 800 OPS. His best year was 2015. When he had an OPS plus of 120, I would argue, and an 823 actual OPS, he hit 303 that year, his batting average. The problem with Kipnis is he is what he is at this point. His last three seasons, 17, 18, and 19, his year 30, 31, and 32 seasons, he's right around a 700 OPS. His OPS plus is under 100, Mm. 81, 90, and 84. His average 232, 230, 245 last year. 
So again, again, you're not getting much better. Nick Mandrigal down in the minor leagues. I mean, you're, I mean, the guy, the guy went. He had 49 games in single A, 42 games in double A, 29 games in triple A. Throughout that time, his stats actually got better as he got higher up. He finished the entire minor league season with a 311 batting average over 532 plate appearances and a 792 OPS, but he was over 800 in his OPS in both double A and triple A. And the OPS and the OPS and here's the deal. The OPS is low because he's not a power hitter, right? But he hits doubles. He had 27 doubles, five triples. So that helps it because his slugging is only his. He only slugged 414. So that's not a big slugging, but he's on base. He's on base was 377 with a three upper 370s OBP and 470. Oh, 470 470 OBP. OBP. I'm sorry. I thought you said 370. 470. Okay. 470. If I said 370, I was wrong. He's got a 470. Okay, so that was what I was. I heard 370. No, no, no. That okay. guy. That guy gets on base. Okay. All right, so then that never mind. There That's what go. that guy does. Now, let's look at the guys that I think are actual names that I'd be interested in. I'm going to give one that I think I feel I feel people have forgotten about. Scooter Jeanette. Now I know Scooter because I play fantasy baseball. Scooter had a couple good years in there where I was lucky enough to have him on my roster as like a reserve, and all of a sudden he was starting for me. His years in 2017 and 2018 with Cincinnati, he's got a 123 OPS plus, 874 actual OPS. He slugged 531 in 2017. Oh, jeez. He slugged 490 with an 847 OPS, a 125 OPS plus, hitting 310, 295 and 310 in 2017 and 2018. And he was an all-star that year. Last year... He only plays in 42 games between the Cincinnati Reds and the San Francisco Giants. Injuries, right? Injuries. And as a result, has a terrible year. 226 overall. His his slugging percentage drops into the threes. His OPS is 568. But that's an injury-ridden year. It would fit the... He's a bounce back candidate. It would, kind of fit, it would kind of fit what the White Sox need at that position for now, because what you need in there is you just, you need somebody you need to fill over. the hole until Madrigal gets there. Or if he, for whatever reason, can't figure it out at the major league level. The guy averaged 25 home runs a year, 25 home runs a year for the three years preceding last year with his injuries. You could probably get him at a bargain. I hate to say that, but I mean, he had a negative 0.7 war last year. He's not on the high on the list for anybody because he's coming off a bad year. But this is a guy I would take a swing at. Like if you're sitting around and you're saying we want to add a piece, he plays third. He plays the outfield. He plays second base. He can actually fill in if you want him to, because the the Reds moved him around a lot. Although he's listed just as a second baseman, he can be moved around. He's not a really big defensive guy. Like you're not getting Yomer's glove. You're, but you're getting a guy who's eh, maybe a, a tick below average, okay, if not average, depending on what stat, what metric you're looking at. Brad Miller is pretty much the same defensively. He's a guy that they could also really look at because you're not even looking for bounce back out of Brad Miller. You're just looking for Brad Miller to be Brad Miller. What are some numbers on? All right, Brad Miller. Miller. Let's take a look at him now. He's going into his year thirty season as well. Him and Jeanette are basically are the same age. He had a nine forty one OPS when he played for Philly, because he split his time between Philly and Cleveland. Okay, that was only over sixty six games. He only played a total of seventy nine games last year because he's a utility guy. And in that role, eight ninety four OPS slugged five sixty five. 
he launched uh, 13 bombs over 79 at, at bats. Nice. All right. An OPS plus of 125. Uh, is he and, bat, it, and if you go uh, back bats, over his career, bats he's righty, an above average hitter. Bats righty or lefty? He is a lefty. Interesting. So there's a left, another lefty, another lefty bat who has regularly over his career played short second base and moved over to first. I'm sure a guy like that can go stand a third if need be for a game. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, to me, I look at a guy like Brad Miller and I go, why isn't he sitting on the White Sox? Unless your intention is that Madrigal starting the season with the team. I, that's got to be the number one question asked to Rick Hahn at Sox Fest. The number one question that I want somebody to ask if I can't get up there. And I'm going to give everybody a mission here from Sox in the basement. At Sox Fest, I want you to get up and I want you to ask him a two-part question. Is it more important to have a window or is it more important to have sustained success? And how does that play into your thinking when you look at a guy like Nick Madrigal, who performed so well moving up through levels last year, only outdone by Lewis Robert, who you're starting opening day? How does that factor into whether or not he has an actual shot of breaking camp with the team? Because it, it, that, and that's that's what I want people to ask because okay. I want to know first of all the organizational philosophy of are we building for a three four year window and then we're okay if we have to tear down because we can't afford players on the back end or are we saving some money in the back and are we looking at this as a long term thing and the reason you're throwing that how does that affect the Madrigal thing because it probably doesn't really is I want to know whether or not he's going to give something up on is Nick Madrigal a legit possibility to start the season I don't think he's going to give a straight answer because he talks lawyerese right but I think that after Sox Fest we're going to be able to break down comments by him and Ricky Renteria and I believe you're going to be able to see in Ricky Renteria a need for Mandrigal or somebody else at second base and what he already has and you're going to see in Han I'm not sure what I want to do let's see how everything plays out blah 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 and there are certain keywords that he could say which we're going to sit there and say I can't believe he's doing it but he's playing service time games which I don't understand with Nick Mandrigal. So I think that's the number one question here that somebody needs to pin him down on, okay? I mean, there's going to be plenty of other things. People are going to be sitting there asking Michael Kopech, do you think you're ready to start the season? He's going to get asked a lot of things. He's all over SoxFest. He's like in symposiums and autograph sessions. Like he is going to be everywhere. Oh, this year. This year. He's going to be everywhere. You're going to see him all over SoxFest when I look at the schedule. But the other thing is that like, I think the big story besides being excited and being happy is... Our, our payroll is about average now. Is it about average because why overspend? Because we're not going for a window. We're going long term. So we want to have something in reserve so we can retain these guys when they finally come up for contract because we want this team to be good for 10 years and we want to keep building from the minors. And then also, are we truly in it this year if we don't start Madrigal at second base or go out and sign a Brad Miller or a Scooter Jeanette? That, that's, that's, those are the questions that need to be asked. Okay, have the love fest. Tell them they did a wonderful job. Remember your owner is still who your owner is, and he's not going to be at the top of payroll when he could afford it. Okay, so don't get too excited. Please don't give him credit for six NBA championships. Oh, God. Because he only don't has get, one World Series, and even, that's all that don't matters even get me. Don't even get me so started I don't on want those you to, six. Like, be excited and be happy and be positive and, and say good job and thanks for going out there. But what the White Sox front office did, remember this, they did what they were supposed to do. They didn't they, like we had this doubt because of how they've treated things. But all they really did was what they should do. 
They did what they were supposed to do. Be happy they did what they supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, if you're happy. if you're expecting that if right. they're if you believe that they're expecting to applaud. win and to win right. for a long time. Right. Applaud. Be happy. But now it's time to start asking questions like how much leash are you giving Reynaldo Lopez this year? <laughs> oh you know? man. If what, it's what if do it's, you expect if from it's your, Ricky, it ain't gonna uh, be much. Oh yeah, or or even or if you want to hide the question of something else, you have some young pitchers and you have some older pitchers, and you're going to have a, a crunch at some point between all these pitchers that you have once everybody's healthy and ready to go as the season goes on. So with younger players and mention them by name, because he'll, he'll differentiate with younger players like Cease and Lopez who still have a lot to learn. What kind of leash do they have? Because at some point somebody's getting squeezed out of the starting rotation. You watch, I guarantee you, Ricky immediately differentiates and says, well, Dylan's only been up there for a little while, but Reynaldo's been here for a few years. (laughs) Like you want good sound bites. Think of your question before you get up there. And and these are the, you have to phrase these things in a way where you can get that kind of an answer. Because I don't know what it's going to be like trying to get up there to a microphone when you look at this. Like, I keep imagining that the reason it's so big and there's only one talk going on at a time, essentially. I mean, there's a little one over at the Hall of Fame thing, but the main talk, there's like one main thing, is because if there's more people, it's harder to get questions. Okay, you, you might get lucky. And some things that people you don't, some things you don't want to answer may never get asked during that time mm. because you have the bigger crowd. So I'm curious as to how it's going to go. But form your questions because I'm telling you, the number one question is about. I mean, you got to know about Madrigal. You want to know about their window. You want to know what they're doing at that rotation. Those are the things you want to ask when you get up there. Ask those questions. And if you don't ask them, you'll see me standing there with my socks in a basement hat, and and I'll be I'll be asking a question. And when I get up and ask a question, if I, I if I choose to identify myself. Try to figure out which one of the White Sox front office rolls their eyes the hardest. Like, look for the biggest eye roll on stage. It's like a side game. Or or you look for someone uh, motioning for security. <laughs> I'll be rotating back and forth between the beer gardens, because if I can watch the stages for the beer gardens, I intend to just be hanging there. Follow us on Twitter. I'll be tweeting throughout the entire thing at Sox in the Basement, and uh, I'll be walking around with the little Sox in the Basement recorder. I want to talk to some of the fans. Hopefully this is, I think it'll be a fun experience. It's going to be different. I hate change. All right. (laughs) I want the change to be good change. If the change fixes the problems with the wristbands and the way that things are like willy nilly, where like one day there's one rule where when we hand out the wristbands and one day there's another rule. And if things are more uniform and people aren't walking all over each other and they're moving along people that are just standing in the way and it's organized, then this will be great. If this somehow is worse or a cluster compared to what it was before, then this will be a this will be a mess. So I'm hoping nice and spread out and lots of things to do and fun for everybody. And I might spend half my time just standing around watching the kids zone because I think it's kind of the coolest thing to watch the players work with the kids. And we will catch up with you after SaxFest and break the entire thing down for you and what we learned from SaxFest next week on Socks in the Basement. 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 Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.